you can't necessarily fix what's going on in the present without going back to those origin stories to understand what are we actually dealing with in terms of what you believe about the world. But you can't know that unless you go back to those stories of origin and then start to to pull on that thread. And like you said, Lindsay, start to untangle some of those pieces so that you can actually understand what happened to you and how has that impacted how you've self-protected in beautiful ways, but also ways that are now potentially not working. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Living Centered Podcast. Today, Lindsay and I are so excited to introduce you to Dr. Dan Allender and Kathy Lorizel. The two are brilliant mental health experts who approach healing with a lens that creates room for people to fully embrace all parts of their story. They sat down for an authentic conversation about acknowledging, naming, and honoring the pain and trauma in our stories and how it can make way for redemption, healing, and even purpose. Dan is a professor of counseling psychology at the Seattle School and founder of the Allender Center. He's a popular podcaster, author, and trusted voice on trauma, sexual abuse recovery, love, and forgiveness and intimacy. Kathy is co-founder and executive vice president of the Allender Center. She is also a popular speaker and instructor. She and Dan have spent the last decade working together to develop trauma-informed narrative theory. The two are also co-authors of the brand new book, Redeeming Heartache, How Past Suffering Reveals Our True Calling, which you'll hear more about later in this episode. While OnSite and this podcast strive to be faith-inclusive, listening and learning from people of all different faith backgrounds, during this interview, Dan and Kathy share their unique approach to trauma through their spiritual lens of Christianity. But we hope that no matter your belief system, you can walk away with a better understanding of yourself and a graceful view of your story. Welcome, Dan and Kathy. Thank you so much, Kathy and Dr. Dan Allender, for being here on the Living Center podcast. We are just so grateful. Personally, I am so excited about this conversation, and I want to just kind of jump in. I think a lot of the work that you guys do at the Allender Center and your own individual work and is just surrounding around story um, and helping people courageously and empowering them to enter into their stories of hurt to find redemption and restoration and even calling. And so I want to know what in your story led you to the calling that you are currently living out. Well, n- not like starting with a small question. <laughs> uh, you I, know, I, just keeping it easy. Yeah, let, yeah. It, it, let's just say the benefit of having a deeply troubled mother. Uh, if I gave a quick diagnosis, I would say borderline personality disorder and a deeply, mm. profoundly avoidant father who was also really kind. So I, I don't think any of us come to address the reality of our life without engaging our own story. And our stories are, if I can use these two words, deeply broken and stunningly beautiful. So even in the midst of a crazy world where sexual abuse occurred, where all sorts of family dramas lived out, I still had a sense of 
something sweet and good and alive, even in my crazy family. So as we invite people to engage the realities of what we're inviting us to name, uh, we are just such broken and beautiful people, and we live in such a broken and beautiful world. If we can even get a little closer to that, we begin to get a better mm. sense of why we're so fragmented, but also why there's such goodness in the way we are called to live. I love that juxtaposition, beautiful and broken. Um, Kathy, how would you respond to that as well? Yeah, so I spent so much of my life early on trying to manage a lot of pain and heartache, but managing it on my own. And I, I was fairly proficient at it, at least from my perspective, um, until, until it started to break down in the sense of anxiety and um, mm. body dysmorphia and different things that were happening to me that I could not control through just working harder or trying to do more or do more activities when I was younger. And, um, and so I started to get really curious about why we weren't telling more of an honest account of both what was going on on our inside, but also what had happened to us. Like my, um, my claim to fame was like how great my family was and, you know, my mom and I were best friends and all this stuff. And, but, and yet I was really in agony um, underneath it all, like having trouble sleeping, uh, you know, up all night, think, worrying about tests and different things. And, and those were really hidden parts of my world. And so when I got into college, um, started to realize that a lot of people had hidden parts of their world as well. And went to a school where what we were known for were more people in a library on a Friday night than at a party. And so we were all kind of overachievers and I started meeting with a group of college women in our dorm rooms on like Wednesday nights, talking and telling the truth about our stories, about where we had come from. Yeah. And they started divulging. We all started to talk about our abuse stories, um, you know, anxiety, um, suicide ideation, all of these struggles. And, and it really pricked my heart to realize there is an underworld going on that we do not have language for. And I don't know that I necessarily understood all of my shadow world, but I was starting to get a glimpse of it. And more than anything, I was captivated by the healing that could happen by people being honest about their own stories, but that we needed guides. And so that's really where I got connected with Dan was going to grad school when I realized, gosh, I have an intuition around this. I, I, I keep getting myself into these places where I'm in over my head these stories, but I don't know where to go with it. And I don't know where to go with my own. So I had this sense that I needed to do my own work in order to then be able to continue on this trajectory. So I went to grad school and met Dan, totally captivated by the work that they were doing at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, changed my life. Dan's work really um, resonated with me. And then I've spent the last decade founding the Allender Center with him to bring this work to more people than just people who can afford or want to go to grad school. I love that. The idea of holding both the beauty and the brokenness of our stories is just so poignant. And those two words both are so powerful. I personally had a hard time sort of acknowledging that there was any brokenness in my story, especially in my family of origin story, because I, like you, Kathy, was like, oh, my, we had this great family, and we did. Yeah. 
but that acknowledging, um, I, it was probably in my late thirties, early forties that I started sort of really leaning into the work and beginning to untangle, like some of the patterns that were showing up in my life and how they could trace back to some of the messages I didn't receive in childhood. So I'm, I'm envious of both of y'all for starting this so much earlier and figuring it out. My coping mechanisms worked a little bit too long for me. Um, <laughs> I, but I think for a lot of us, it really takes like our coping mechanisms start failing us, you know, mm-hmm. however, we've like managed to survive stops feeling as satisfying, or we just start to realize that there's like dissonance between our inside world and our outside world, like you spoke about. Mm -hmm. What are like, when y'all hear people that are coming to you to begin this work, what are their kind of pain points that you would say are are sort of bringing them into it, the investigation of themselves? Uh, It's such a great question because generally we don't come to name the realities of either our brokenness or beauty until something disrupts us. And as long as you've got a good life, happy people, things are working out, which, again, is a fantasy. I mean, no one has that. But nonetheless, you can, you know, you can have it for a day or two. Uh, But when that disruption occurs, it's, it's like the integrity you had to step into what's really going on. And I would come back to this, helping people face their brokenness and the brokenness of their family and their world, it's a piece of cake. The (laughs) dilemma is helping people face their stunning beauty. Mm. That is a whole separate, they're intersecting, but they're separate. So I think in many ways, when we lose what we were most meant for by God, delight and honor. When we Mm. encounter moments where we feel dishonored, disrespected, or ignored, or even worse, degraded in some form. And that can happen through all sorts of trauma. I mean, uh, the loss of a job, a loss of a marriage, a loss of a friendship. So any significant loss or threat opens the door to trauma, and especially threats where we don't feel like we have much power to change the trajectory of what we're suffering, then that trauma exacerbates. And the greater the trauma, the greater the pain points that you're putting words to. Mm -hmm. Um, At the Allender Center, we talk a lot about uh, you needing to do your own work first, right? You can't take anyone any further than you're willing to go yourself. So interestingly enough for us, uh, often, people come to the Allender Center because they want to help other people. And so they are leaders, they are running small groups, they are running organizations, and they they want more tools on how to handle trauma. Because I think no, no matter what, it let, especially now, people can acknowledge trauma is a thing. You know, I mean, 10, yeah. 20 years ago, people were like, mm, what? You know, I mean, Dan, when Dan first started to talk about sexual abuse, people didn't, the, the numbers were astronomical, but no one believed it, right? We now know that that's true. No one's talking about it, but we all understand like, okay, these numbers are true. This is part of people's stories. And now we're coming online really around trauma as well, especially in the age of COVID and now. 
war and turmoil and cultural issues. I mean, there's so much going on around us. I actually think it's an opportunity for us to realize none of us are immune. And so with Mm -hmm. Allender Center, people come because they think they want to help others. And they're a little caught off guard when we say, okay, great. We love that. Let's start with you. And they always think, oh, well, I don't really have that much of a story. You know, I, my family was, was, you know, pretty decent, you know, compared to other people's families and all stuff. But what, what we're all so, um, what we become aware of when we start to lean into this work is that as soon as you start to uncover where safety and trust has been shattered, it's pretty universal, And wherever that happened in the particularity of your story, wherever that shattering, there's always going to be something that starts to shift our sense of the world isn't as safe as I thought it was. That happens young, that happens quickly, that happens pretty viciously in our lives. We then change. There's something about us that goes, oh, it's not safe. I need to shift the way that I'm engaging with the world in order to counterbalance and stay safe in my family or in, in the culture that I'm living in. And that impacts who we are. So, you know, then fast forward 30 years, that's going to impact your marriage, how you parent, how you are in your, in your office, how you are as a therapist, how you are as a pastor, that's going to impact you. And so you can't necessarily fix what's going on in the present without going back to those origin stories to understand what are we actually dealing with in terms of what you believe about the world. But you can't know that unless you go back to those stories of origin and then start to to pull on that thread. And like you said, Lindsay, start to untangle some of those pieces so that you can actually understand what happened to you and how has that impacted how you've self-protected in beautiful ways, but also ways that are now potentially not working. And again, so many of us think, okay, you know, the, the wellness journey in our culture, right? Like, you know, take some walks, do some yoga. It's like, yes, absolutely, let's do that. But if you're not going back to the origin of how you created that self-defense structure, you're not going to be able to really do long-term healing work on this side. I think there is this hesitancy when things feel like they're quote-unquote working to lean back into that. I know that we see that a lot at OnSite that people don't take an action until the pain gets big enough, right? Until something intercedes, like you were saying, until something comes into your story. And then when you start to pull the thread, I know in my own life, if I start to pull a little bit, it's the fear of this would be all encompassing. Mm -hmm. Um, And something that really changed for me in doing some of that work was that naming and honoring piece. I started to recognize that this is so big that it deserves to be honored, that it deserves to be seen and held and given its weight. But then doing that in community was also the biggest game changer for me. And that's something that we see at OnSite is that when people can see, hear, and value your story, it changes everything. So in the work that you guys have done, how do you facilitate opportunities for people to walk into their story and then bring other people into it to maybe reflect back those things. Like you were saying, Dan, it's really easy to for someone to start to dig and do their work of like, this is the hard stuff, but then to reflect back that beauty. What does that look like in the work that you guys do? Well, I, I love the fact that God has made us so that we cannot see our face. Uh, I, you hold my face in the way you engage me. And the reality mm. of that gift is so immense that you know, it's an obvious statement, but 
important to underscore. We were all harmed in relationship. And we're healed in the context of relationship. And that gift of others reading our face, reading us and our body in our story, that is a, as Kathy put it so well, a transformative structure of, it's one thing to know your story through your own journaling, which is good, and engagement with a good therapist, that's good. But there is something about being read by five, six other people in a small group where yeah. the divergence, the complexity, the richness of perspective, not only in terms of the harm we've done to ourselves and others, but far more the glory and goodness of what we bring. If we can hold something of that tension and ambivalence, uh, you find a deepening of one's own capacity to receive and to give. And that's the core to change. What changes us is love. And love is the ability to give and receive honor and delight to one another. When you were talking, it reminded me of we've got a clinician on our team that talks some about sort of one of the challenges of COVID is when you're talking about holding people's faces, it reminded me that just the importance of co-regulation and that how we start to unconsciously match people's expressions and hold space for them. Mm -hmm. And that even like we're all on a virtual meeting app and not in person and just there's awkward delays and things like that. And that, that there's some amount of disconnection that's just happening naturally as we've moved everything online. It's, yeah. it's been amazing all the opportunities of what we can do online, but no, like just the power of, fully seeing people's faces and being able to match their feelings and their expressions and fully show up for them is is harder in this day and age. And so it just reminded me of having grace for myself and that and for other people too. Well said. I mean, the fact is, thank God that we've got all the platforms that we're using to actually have some degree of pixelated face-to-face but nonetheless, uh, you know, the, the incarnation is a gift of presence in body. And yeah. that is what we're meant to bring one another, presence in body. And therefore, in some ways, Zoom or other platforms uh, uh, create a kind of, oh, this is enough water to make sure I don't die of thirst but it only reminds me how much more yeah. I need to take in, how much more water I need just by being in one another's presence. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times God, and part of what I think is so cool about the work that y'all do is y'all really are at that convergence of spirituality and psychology. And I know in my own um, Christian upbringing, I think psychology was leaned on, but in a lot of ways there was... A little bit of a bias against it. We have seen that continue to evolve as more pastors speak openly about the um, emotional health and healing work that they're doing personally and the power of having guides and therapists to come alongside people in their journey. Mm -hmm. How have you seen sort of things shift and also sort of fought some of those narratives that that psychology is bad and that God's bigger, God can do it all. <laughs> Again, a, a hard question. I know, right? I begin with a simple thought, and that is every human being 
made in the image of God, has to grow in faith, hope, and love in order to love, in order to give, in order to, in one sense, flourish as a human being. But faith is really the word trust. And so, yes, it matters what you trust in, but yeah. no one can escape the need to trust, to have attachment relationships. And we're all meant to imagine and to dream and to desire. And that's the framework of hope. You, you, are, you are creating the world you believe you and others need and want in every act of imagination. So faith and hope are not unique to Christians. It's being made in the image of God. And as I put words to it before, love is the giving and receiving of honor, delight, pleasure. We are meant to bring pleasure to one another. And in that framework, you know, we can talk about, yeah, there are divergences of what we trust in, what we hope in, how we offer love, that is to give and receive. But don't escape the fact that every human being is spiritual. Every human being is made to desire something of the same reality of honor and delight. And that's our foundation for engaging all human beings, not just those who think they're spiritual, but everyone in that sense bears a spirituality that mm. needs to be named and honored. Even if I differ with what you believe, what you hold to as hope and dreams, we can deal with differences as long as we hold together the foundation of what it means to be a created being. That's really well said. Have you ever been told that you can't trust your feelings? What if I told you that understanding your feelings and getting smart with the information that they're giving you is the key to actually unlocking your potential? Because here's the deal. Your feelings are not innately bad or good. They just are. All our feelings are just pieces of information that help us understand what's really going on beneath the surface. If I'm honest, addressing what's below the surface sounds exhausting. But the truth is, avoiding your emotions is much more exhausting than feeling them. When we leave our feelings unaddressed, they take a toll on our emotional, mental, relational, and even physical health. The bottom line is, we can't afford to ignore them anymore. It's time to start understanding our emotions and the power they have to unlock our greatest potential. That's why I'm excited about our brand new class, Becoming Emotionally Smart. This accessible digital class includes over 80 minutes of clinical expertise and an interactive workbook designed to ground, unpack, and apply the concepts to your everyday life. Sign up before September 30th and save $40 when you use the code PODCAST. Head to onsiteworkshops.com slash emotionally smart to learn more and sign up today. We at Onsite have clients from all different backgrounds that come, but I do think that they're surprised at how inclusive of their spirituality the work that we do is and that it, it's something that we never shy away from talking about, whatever someone's expression of it, because we understand the importance of them having some sort of expression of it and then being open to that because it can help them understand themselves and the world through a different lens. Yeah. I've had many clients come to Onsite and that be beyond the incredible quality of your therapist, the brilliance of the program that you've created, there is this deep, deep sense of welcome. 
like yeah. welcome. <laughs> and I don't know if there's anything more powerful uh, to create a sense of safety to do the kind of work we're talking about than that mm -hmm. gift of welcome. And truly, not just because I got a basket of fruit in the room, but because <laughs> you really are welcome. And that yeah. that's a kind of gifting that I, I just don't think you can orchestrate without deep, deep convictions. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that really does our heart a lot of good to hear that. Um, we always love to hear that. But I think it's just really... It's really telling to the work in the way that it, it transcends that. And I would love to reflect back to you that in my own story, I think your work allowed me the opportunity um, in reading to be told to look at my own story and to mix two things that I felt like were so separate. I felt like, you know, this desire to really dig into stuff feels like, how do I invite God into that, but also really give it the weight and acknowledgement that it has, because I think so many faith circles really had diminished trauma. It had told me like it wasn't a big deal. And I, um, the fact that it was affecting me, you know, was my own fault or whatever. Um, and so I would just love to reflect back to you and the work that you both are so involved in and helping people do and marry that and create space for people to really acknowledge and honor, name and honor is what keeps coming up when I hear that and when I read your work. And so, thank you. yeah, I just really love to reflect back and say thank you for that. Yeah, I think the, the beauty of, of what we get to do and even part of the redemption of my own story, like you said, Mackenzie, that there's there are so many things that I thought needed to be separate yeah. um, that, that couldn't have like harmony and that there was just dissonance and, and discord. And I think that included faith, psychology, theology, you know, all of those aspects. Like I grew up feeling like I couldn't ask questions. I couldn't yeah. tell the deeper part that like being a woman of faith meant kind of being healed you know, yeah. that I could yeah. just kind of jump over and never have to actually acknowledge what was underneath and, and what was true and that I just needed to pray more or, you know, do the right thing. And I think that that transcends not just faith, but I think that's true in a lot of areas where we feel like, OK, we've arrived at the right job or we've gotten married or we've had kids and now we're just supposed to be OK because we have this great life. Yeah. And it's just not how it works. And so I think to have permission where you realize like, like, you know, if you believe in God or if there's a sense of of something bigger out there that we are meant to be able to uncut, like to pick up every rock and that nothing is off limits and that there is a deeper purpose and a deeper sense of being where we don't have to be afraid of asking too hard of a question or asking a question that exposes or uh, it's like our human experience is actually honored and and good um, yeah. Also incredibly troubling and difficult <laughs> and, you know, but all of that is, is together. And I think so much of what we've done is separated our humanness from our lived experience. Mm. And we don't actually allow those things to, to intersect. And so we we're actually missing, I think, a, a part of God because we've, you know, psychology. And again, you know, some of your listeners won't have a, a background in theology, but but psychology mixes beautifully with with mm. with theology. But we've been so afraid of it because we're afraid that if we start asking questions or we dig deeper, then we're going to lose our faith or, yeah. you know, we're going to we're going to be outside of the realms of orthodoxy. And it's just it's just not true. 
And I think we've been able to invite people into that intersection where we're like, you don't have to deny these other stories, these these broken, deep parts of you that never get the light of day because you're afraid that if anyone knows about it, then you're going to be kicked out of your community or you're going to be seen as dark or wicked or too broken for redemption. And the freedom of saying, no, God is present in the darkest parts of our story and is there waiting to weep with us as we touch down. That's the work that we get to do and the freedom that we see in people's lives as they don't have to leave different parts of their history or story behind in order to find healing. The redemption that's possible in the midst of that is staggering. Hmm. But sometimes in our stories, when we go back, we can like quickly go over it. But what have you seen and how do we practically go in and create those markers? If everything's not off limits, if everything's allowed, if we can go and explore um, and lift up every rock, how do we build in the markers to grieve, to celebrate, to mark transition, changing in seasons? I just think across the board, we are in a season right now where COVID had us just skip over a lot of things. And I think until we go back and acknowledge the missed birthdays, we go back and acknowledge the disappointment, acknowledge the grief, we can't move forward. But how do we do that well in a way that's honoring? Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, when we're in crisis, it is a very hard thing to grieve because your resources are needed in in a kind of activated sense to manage the craziness of this hour, this day, this week, this month. So we don't really have a lot of space right now to Mm. honor and name. But what you've underscored is so crucial. Like, if you keep building the dynamite of your losses in your basement, damn, <laughs> it's going to explode yeah. eventually. And, and so... As we say in our house, it's going to come outside. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so even if you feel like, as you're listening to this podcast, like, I can't do the work you're talking about. Uh, you know, when somebody says, I don't have time to work out, it's like, okay, that's true in terms of what you'd want to do, but tell me that five push-ups aren't better than nothing. Right. And that mm-hmm. alone is the marker to say, could I take five minutes and just grieve that the party we were going to be at literally tomorrow got canceled? And I'm heartbroken, Mm. but I don't have a lot of time today to deal with that. But I need five minutes. I need five push-ups to be able to go, oh, we're really back, aren't we? Mm -hmm. We're really back to loss, cancellation, Mm -hmm. something of the illusion and fantasy that vaccines are going to make it all better soon. And you go, well, a lot of pundits were saying we're looking at a good two years, if not longer. Now, don't give up. Honor the small. And that may be literally writing four sentences in your journal rather than mm-hmm. saying, I need an hour. Mm. Take whatever moments you have. And I believe over seasons, we can come back to those four sentences and be able to honor that there was so much more. And now we're ready to do the hard mm. work that needs to be done. I um I've spent a lot of time thinking about grief, which mm. you know I don't think I knew that that was my thing 
<laughs> until I, I just, I, you know, Dana and I wrote this book, Redeeming Heartache. And so now I'm, I'm supposed to have like a professional um, Instagram account, which I don't. That's just not my jam. But I'm trying. Every single post is about how to grieve. I'm like, maybe there's something in this <laughs> in my own story that I need to pay attention to. But this is this is what I've I've for me for my own story. What I've come to believe is that when we don't allow ourselves to feel the impact and the weight of what's going on around us, it starts to block the inner chambers of our soul. And that's from Francis Weller's book, The Wild Edges of Sorrow, that has been really impactful for me. But the the premise for him, and and this connects deeply to the work that that we do, but the sense that everything you have loved, you will lose. Hmm. Your heart has been missed and not loved in the way that it was intended to. And the world is such a mess. Yeah. And, and, and he has these three premises and, and those again, attach really well to the three premises that we talk about in the book, which are the archetypes of orphan, widow, and stranger. Right. I'm glad you're diving into that. I wanted to hear more about it. Yeah. So the idea is that we all experience a shattering. We all experience the sense of betrayal of powerlessness and ambivalence where we're conflicted about what Mm. we're experiencing, about the good, the brokenness and the beauty. They're both happening simultaneously for us. And when we experience that, we we entrench ourselves into styles of relating. And and in the work that Dan and I have done over the last decade, and this really came out of his books of To Be Told and Leading with a Limp, for me, it's it's helpful to start to think about archetypes you know, like, like characters that help me land in my own story. Because uh, oftentimes we can talk about theories that are kind of out there, but it's so helpful when you talk about like orphan, we all have a sense of what orphan looks like. Well, an orphan is someone who was meant to be protected by a family and has experienced betrayal and loss and can no longer trust that a family is going to be there for them. Right. So the orphan is now knowing oh, the only thing I can trust is what I can create for myself And I need to be in control of it and be aware that like, you know, betrayal is right around the corner. So I need to be hypervigilant, can't trust the system, can't trust the world, and I'm going to fix it on my own. Right. Yeah. So that's that's orphan. That's that sense of of my heart has not been tended to in the way that it was meant to. And I have had to recoup and recover Mm. and 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 be self-sufficient. The stranger right, is connected to powerlessness. The stranger is the one who has this sense of what the world should be, could be. They're the Mm -hmm. feelers and the empaths of the world, the dreamers, the artists, but they've been rendered powerless to do anything about it, right? So we know the strangers in our world and our midst because they're the ones who are like, you know, this thing could be true. And they, and they're, they're on our college campuses right now being like, if we just did this, this, and this, everything could be different. Well, those people are then going to enter into the world. They're going to get their butts handed to them and realize the system doesn't change like that. And then they're going to have to start paying their bills and figure out what's going to happen. They're going to have to, you know, and they make compromises and then they hate themselves and they want to blow it all up because they realize their youthful idealism didn't actually change anything, at least in that moment. And now they're having to grapple with their own cynicism. Right. So that's the stranger. We all know the stranger. The widow is someone who has experienced love, experienced goodness, and it's been lost. And they don't know if they really want to open their, themselves up to love again. 
they don't know that they want to risk it again. These are the folks who have started organizations and they've fallen. They've got, had failed marriages. They've been pastors or therapists. And all of a sudden mm. they realize that that the, all the love that they poured into it, it didn't work out. Can they create again? They're in that ambivalent space of knowing goodness and having suffered extreme loss. And, and now they're trying to, to figure out how to maneuver themselves in the world. So, so when I think about grief, right? It's that sense of, do I know the orphan, stranger, and widow in my own heart? So so all three would exist in all of us? Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Well, just the fact that you have used the word name and honor, for us to be able to name these archetypes of trauma, uh, the reality that nobody escapes in a fallen world, the reality of the, I mean, how often we say, well, I'm not an orphan. I still have my parents or, you know, I'm not a stranger. I feel very much at home in where I'm at. And to go, wait a minute, whenever you know betrayal and any degree of powerlessness and that shattering of love, we're now in the categories that we, you know, we've all said, and it's so important to restate we spent so much of our life trying to escape or resolve mm. rather than to name and honor. And, you know, there is something transformative about coming to those moments without having the necessity to change it, but just to embrace it. But in the embrace, oddly, it never remains the same. In mm. being an orphan and naming that, there's something that you are actually fathering, mothering something of your own heart in the midst of being able to name that. In naming that you are actually a stranger, you're actually creating something of a new community. And in that same sense of wrestling with the question of, do I really want to love? The answer will always be the impulse ultimately of you were meant for love. And so in the naming, oddly, there's actually the beginning of incredible healing. Mm-hmm. Because we have a tendency to think if I embrace this, like it will just stay the same and then I'll take this on. Like you're accepting a victim role or yeah. a victim mm-hmm. mentality. Yeah. So what does that embrace, that true embrace actually looks like rather than being in a victim stance and being, how do we, mm-hmm. how do we find agency again then? Mm-hmm. Even the nature of being an orphan by, by just naming that y- you have missed a level of attunement and care and strength and containment. It, again, that strange part, that fragmentation literally creates multiple senses of self within us. And when we begin to tend to the broken parts, when the stronger parts within you start caring for the more broken parts. Oh, mm. Again, I want a father, but I get to father. Uh, I still want a mentor but I get to care and mentor. So when we begin to offer our own and others what we have lost and not experienced, oddly, we begin to have something of the paradoxical gift of redemption. So I, mm-hmm. again, I would love to say it's one, two, three, four, but we don't really right. believe there's a method. There's much mm-hmm. more a trajectory. And in that trajectory, I do believe God shows up in our own engagement with him, with with mm-hmm. others, but as well with our own sense of self. Yeah, that's really helpful. And correct me if I'm wrong. What I hear you saying is 
in acknowledging sort of the role that we or the archetype that we're stepping into, the orphan gets parented or nurtured. That's right. And then mm-hmm. the stranger gets welcomed to use language that you used before, mm-hmm. which I lo- thought was just so beautiful. And then the the widow gets finds love again. Is that yeah? Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, and I think the power of naming is that when you get into some of those truths and acknowledge what has what's actually true in you know underneath the rocks, there's actually mm-hmm. an incredible amount of relief mm-hmm. and connection, and it releases mm-hmm. something. I think you know we we look at trauma as embedded trauma that kind of when it's there and it's not tended to, it it's almost like an artery that's blocked. And you don't have the right blood flow. Your body's not working in synchronicity in the way that it's meant to because you have these embedded traumas that are not dealt with. And we're doing workarounds all the time that actually are, are very difficult to do and take a lot of energy. And so we're avoiding the work because we're afraid that if we go there, it's going to swallow us whole. But, but I think that's a threat that's, that's not true. And, and what we found is that if you actually go to that spot that you're terrified of acknowledging or leaning into or talking about or letting it sink into to the fact that this is who you are, it releases something and your body moves into sorrow, but the sorrow then moves into life. And there's a difference between despair and sorrow that will actually produce more life more freedom. And, and I think that's, you know, if there's any message from us, it's that you can find freedom and healing and redemption, but it's going to be counterintuitive. It's not going to be, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or finding the next routine or wellness thing or, or like the the best job or the right spouse or whatever. It's going back into those places where, where trauma and harm are lodged in your system and then you can you can move through it. I mean, last night I was starting to feel really sad. Like I've been kind of depressed yeah. for the last like seven days. And I've, tra- I've been trying to figure out why, you know, like what's going on, you know. And, yeah. and I know that this season for me is always difficult because it, we're shifting into fall. I love summer. I love the leaves on the trees in Seattle. We go into our dark season where it's like very dark, very rainy, you know. And our, you know, in the midst of COVID, my kids have been home for 18 months. And all of a sudden I realized as I'm sinking into it, so I'm sitting at the table with my husband and I'm like, hey, I I need to talk about, I'm not sure what's going on. I just feel like I'm about to cry all the time. I don't know if I just need to go cry alone for like an hour and come back or like what's going on. And, but I started to put language to what was happening. And, and even just the simple practice of putting language with someone who you trust and who loves you shifts something of your heart. And so Mm -hmm. I started to put language and finally landed on, I have been home for 18 months. I haven't been traveling. I haven't been having to go to an office and my kids and my husband have been home with me. And that has been difficult in seasons where I wanted (laughs) to get on an airplane (laughs) and go and I've wanted them to go to school. But it's now a week away where my kids are going to be going to school for six hours a day. I'm going to get on a plane and start to do a book tour, which I love, but I am heartbroken. Hmm. I'm heartbroken because a season of us growing in love for one another and goodness is about to change. 
And even just the simple sense of like landing in that. I needed a few minutes to to wander a bit to figure out what I'm really sad about. And then I said it out loud and immediately the tears came and that sense mm-hmm. of, oh, I I have loved being a mom and I am grieving the loss of it. But it yeah. changed my heart. And in that moment, like I can feel my system is flowing again because I was able to land into the grief. And that's what we're doing on both like a large scale with your story, but also in an everyday, because if you can do that with the harder stories, you can do that at a kitchen table around your kids going back to school. It's all interconnected. And I love the approachability of that. I think sometimes it can feel so scary, but you you just kind of walked us through like, here's what this looks like in my everyday. Here's Mm -hmm. a way that I can go back into my story, connect with myself, get curious, take an opportunity rather than lean into the places that feel the most comfortable because it would be a lot easier to just keep moving and to deny or even to say, well, it's rainy and I, you know, Seattle's coming, whatever. But to really dig a little deeper and get past that, I think it was just such a beautiful invitation. And I love that you said, if we can do that at a kitchen table, we can do that with the deep and scary stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would love just as we wrap up here, Um, to acknowledge your book that is coming out so very soon, Redeeming Heartache. And when this airs, it will be live for a week into the world. I am just so excited for the impact of this book. And so I would just love for you guys to share a little bit about what your hope is um, that people might get from picking up Redeeming Heartache, How Past Suffering Reveals Our True Calling. What would be your hope for the book? Well, Mackenzie, you put it well, so well. Let me borrow your words again. If we can honor and name, name and honor something of the reality of uh, that, that we do bear brokenness in those categories mm. of orphan, stranger, and widow, widower, but we've got a calling. And to me, I, I want people to know more of healing, more sense of fullness and wholeness. But I also want people to have a sense that that isn't just for you. It, it, it's mm. for your children. It's for your spouse, your partner, your friends, your church, your community, yeah. your nation. And if we can come into more of a movement that we don't just need healing. We need a deepened sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And that is the freedom to know that whatever harm has come, God intends to use that to shape you to fuller and more flourishing sense of being. But also that being is meant to engage our world. And we use these categories of prophet, priest, and king and queen. You're meant to be a storyteller and holder. That's what we mean by a priest. You're meant to arouse passion, desire, and righteousness in our world. That's what we mean by being a prophet. And you're meant to help others flourish. That's what it means to be a king or a queen. And so if we can gauge something of the calling of our suffering, not that God brought suffering, Mm. but God definitely uses suffering to create even greater goodness. So if we can get a sense of how we move to healing and beyond healing to the participation of goodness in other people's lives, it would be, if we can help a few folks do that, we will be pretty happy folks. 
Hmm. I would love to hear from you, Kathy, but it made me think there's a quote in your book that says our stories give rise to our callings and our callings set the trajectory for more to discover their stories. If we learn to read our stories well, we will see at least a hint, if not the full colorful rainbow of themes that shape us and make up the multi-hued palette of who we truly are and what we were meant to do. And I love how you said in there that it's not just for ourselves. This work is not just for us. It's literally to tap into who we were intended to be, and then it'll impact every other person. And so I think that's such a, a beautiful gift you're giving into the world. Kathy, what would be your, your hope? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I can say it any better than, than either of you, but, um, I, <laughs> but I, do, I do really believe that so often we, we tend to shy away from healing because we feel like it's selfish or we feel like it's like kind of navel gazing. And and I think my hope for the book is that we would start to see the connection. Um, we need more healed healers in this world. None of us are gonna be fully healed. Mm. None of us are gonna fully arrive, not on this side. <laughs> and yet there's more. And this world, our communities need, need healed healers. And, and being healed doesn't mean that you're not broken or don't aren't human. But I think if we can be human size healers that are ever present to our own limitations, ever present to our own grief and our own brokenness, I think the world, like we can actually tap into something of the collective that is begging for us to show up and be present and be able to join in a redemptive arc and we're at a very difficult spot in our world. Mm-hmm. There is more devastation. We're more aware of it than we've ever been. We're carrying it in our bodies. And we need each one of us to do our own personal work so that we may step into the complexities that are ever present in our big worlds and our little worlds and help our children flourish, help our communities flourish. And I believe this book not only helps you identify what's happened to you and starts to give you categories for like how to understand your story, how to understand how you've taken your story in and then created a self by it. But then what do you do? Like what's next? And and I think some books just go to what's next. Like here's how to, you know, redeem and, and go. And this is a five-step mm-hmm. program. Ours really stays in the the struggle for quite a while before we kind of offer the sense of, of how to move. And I love that because I think we need to stay in the tension of doing some of that harder work, but also to leave it just at the place where you're just doing the hard work and not giving an imagination for what redemption and goodness could look like. Uh, I think we we offer that. And, and, you know, more than anything, I just, I, I hope it's helpful. Um, and gives people a different angle hmm. towards healing. I know it will be. I know I can't wait to read my copy. And thank you all so much for just sharing with us today. It's been so fun to get to know you a bit and to learn more about the book and everything y'all are up to in Seattle. Betsy and Mackenzie, thank you. Delight and honor to be with both of you. Absolutely. We'll have to do it in person next time. <laughs> Love it. Love it. <laughs> Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.